thank you again this morning for being here. Open your Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This morning I conclude a series that I began on Easter Sunday, a series entitled Foolish, how Christianity appears to be foolish to many people who do not name the name of Christ, do not believe the Bible. And so today we're going to ask this question, is there really only one way to heaven? Is there really only one way to heaven? This is one of those claims of Christianity that people think is radical, revolutionary, and many believe to be foolish. We've asked many questions throughout this series. We've asked the question, can a dead man really live again? We've asked the question, can one man really save everyone? How can I believe in something I can't see? And today, the question is, is there really only one way to heaven? John chapter 14 and verse 6 I know many of you know this verse by heart. One verse today from John chapter 14. We'll look at verse 6 and we'll study as we ask this question, see what the Bible has to say. Jesus says in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me through me. Remember this morning the powers in the perfect Word of God. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your Word this morning. We ask that you would speak and work. Spirit of God, would you begin to move in our hearts? Would you draw people unto yourself? Would you save souls in this place? Would you lead us to obedience? In Christ's name, amen. There was an exclusive golf outing in October of 2006. This was back when Tiger Woods was at his peak, back when he was winning majors, and he was undoubtedly, without argument, the best golfer in the nation and in the world. That day, about 30 people gathered up at the Trump Golf Course in Los Angeles for what they called Tee It Up with Tiger Woods. This was a included a private golf session with Tiger and then a lunch afterwards where you could ask any question. It was really interesting. Many people were invited by Nike to come. Others paid a lot of money to be there. And during the lunch, there was a question and answer session. And during the question and answer session, one person got up and asked a two-part question that really shocked everyone there. One person got up and asked this question, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if not, prayerfully, would you? A source that was present at that lunch later said, it was so quiet in that moment you could hear a pin drop. But Tiger Woods was as unflappable in that moment as he was on the golf course back then. Here was his response. My father was a Christian. Of course, Christianity is definitely a part of my life. But my mother is Asian and and Buddhism was also a part of my childhood. So I practiced both faiths respectively, respectfully. We live in a time where people think that there are many ways to God and we can take and pick and choose whichever part of whichever religion we want to believe and we can make our own thing and as long as we practice it respectfully and sincerely that everything will work out okay. But is that really the way it works? James Montgomery Boyce says this, when it comes to this question, is there really only one way to heaven? 
He says there's really three ways to approach this. The first way is this. All religions are more or less equal. And that is really the approach that many people take today. All religions are more or less equal. If you practice your faith respectfully, if you practice your faith sincerely, then we're all climbing the same mountain. We're just on different sides. We're all getting to the same destination. We're just taking different roads. And one day, if you're good enough and you practice your religion right, you will make it to heaven. That's what most people believe. He says there's a problem with that, though. If all religions are equally valid, all religions seem to have contradicting truths and principles. So how can this religion proclaim one thing as truth and then this religion proclaim something else as truth and those things be diametrically opposed yet be true at the same time? It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. The second thing Boyce says is that all religions could have some value, but some are better than others. And so some would say that that uh, some religions are better, they, they help mankind more, they teach us to be better people, and this view allows everyone to think that their religion is superior to others, but each religion does have some value in the eyes of those who may hold that truth. And then Boyce says there's the third option. Only Christianity is right, and all other religions are wrong. In this view, there is only one way to God, And that is through His Son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a bold claim. It is incredibly narrow. But it is exactly what Jesus says in John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Either Jesus is telling the truth and he is who he says he is or he is lying and he has perpetrated one of the greatest ruses in all of history on all of humanity. Either Jesus is the only way to God or he is not a way at all. Is there really only one way to heaven? Let's look at this statement in John 14, 6. First of all, I want you to notice it's an encouraging statement. The first half of this phrase, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That is an incredibly encouraging statement. In fact, if you'll notice the context of this question, the context of this statement, Jesus is speaking to his disciples in a moment trying to comfort and encourage them. He says, I'm getting ready to leave, but don't be discouraged. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's encouraging them in this moment. And here in John 14, 6, Jesus answers some of the greatest questions that the human heart has ever asked. Right here in these three statements, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, he answers some of the greatest questions the human heart has ever had. First of all, he answers this question, how can I be saved? He says, I am the way. How can I be saved? Jesus is the way. John Phillips tells of when he was a young boy, his aunt and uncle took him to London, to the Hampton Court. And there in the Hampton Court, for a small fee, you could pay money and you could walk into what was a maze built up with hedges. And you could walk through the maze and as you walked through the maze, there was a place right there in the middle where if you got lost and you got tired, you could just sit down and rest and relax. And he said they got lost. They got so turned around they had no idea which way they were going. His aunt, his uncle, and he had no idea which way to go. Finally, they sat down. 
There was one man who was working there at the Hampton Court at the Maze, and he walked by and said, hey, folks, are you lost? Do you need some help? And they said, yes, we're lost, and we need help. And so they began to follow this man who went this way, and then that way, and then this way, and then that way, and then all of a sudden they came out at the entrance, and they had been rescued. And Philip said it took a couple of things. First of all, we had to admit that we didn't know the way, that we were lost. Secondly, we had to believe this man knew the way, and if we followed him, we could be rescued. And third, we had to follow him. And that's exactly what they did. How can I be saved? I must admit that I'm lost. I must cease from my own striving, from my own efforts, and I must believe in the one who said, I am the way. When I know him, I know that he is the way and that there is no other way. Now listen to me carefully this morning. There are many ways to come to Christ, but there is only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus. There are many ways to come to Jesus. You've got a story that's different than my story, and someone on your row's got a different story than you, and, and everybody's story of how we come to faith in Christ might be different. It might be varied. There are many ways to come to Jesus, but there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. He says, I am the way. The second question that we ask is, how can I be sure? Jesus is the truth. How can I be saved? Jesus is the way. How can I be sure? How can I be confident? Jesus is the truth. Jesus was adamant. I am the way. I am the truth. He is dogmatic. He doesn't say, I am one truth. I am a truth. He says, definite article, I am the truth. No matter how rich, no matter how successful, no matter how moral, no matter how religious, no matter how upright or popular or powerful you are, you come to God through Jesus or you don't come at all. You come to God through Jesus or you don't come at all. That statement is not arrogance. That statement is truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. The third question, how can I be satisfied? Jesus is the life. How can I be saved? He says, I'm the way. How can I be sure? He says, I am the truth. How can I be satisfied and fulfilled in this life? Jesus says, I am the life. The word in the Greek is zoe. If you know someone named Zoe, their name literally means life. It's one of John's favorite words. It's the word that Jesus used here in John 14, 6. It's used 56 times throughout John's letters. It means life in all of its forms, all the way up to God, to the smallest microorganism. Jesus used this word in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14. Matthew 7, 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He also uses this word in John chapter 11 and verse 25. When he speaks to Mary and Martha about the death of Lazarus, he says to them, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Jesus doesn't just say he's the way to life. He says he is life. He is the life. A pioneer missionary to Africa tells How he was taking the gospel to a new tribe far to the north. No one, no one had ever dared to trek that far. In fact, those that were helping carry his 
His belongings were not even willing to go with him on the journey. The missionary appealed to a local chief there in this tribe. Was there someone in the village who could take him to the far northern tribe? Someone to guide him. The chief summoned one man. He was very tall. He was battle-scarred. He was carrying a large axe. A bargain was made, and the next morning the missionary set off through the bush following this one man. The way became increasingly rough and it became increasingly narrow. The missionary followed directly behind this man as the, wo- the woods and the weeds grew, grew thicker and darker. Finally, the missionary stopped the journey, called a halt, and he asked the guide, are you sure that you know where we're going? This looks like we're headed into nowhere. The man stood up toe-to-toe with the missionary and said, white man, you see this axe in my hand? You see these scars on my body? With this axe, I blazed the trail to the tribal village to which we go. I came from there. These scars I received when I made the way. You ask me if I know the way. Before I came, there was no way. I am the way. And I want you to understand when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, He came to make a way. He came because there was no way. The scars of Calvary attest to the fact that Jesus Christ is the way. And He blazed a trail for us so that if we repent and believe, we can be saved and know the way. He says, I am the way. It's an encouraging statement. But secondly, it's an exclusive statement. It is an exclusive statement. While this offers encouragement to many, and it offers encouragement to those who believe in Him, it is quite offensive to others, is it not? Stand up today in any public square or any public forum and say that you know the one and only way to get to heaven. You know the one and only way to please God, and you will be laughed at, you will be insulted, you will be mocked, and you will be kicked out. This is not just an encouraging statement. It is an exclusive statement. It is to say that I know the one and only way. I know the one and only truth. I know the one and only lie. Truth, though, listen carefully now. Truth is always exclusive. Truth is always dogmatic. Truth is always non-tolerant, intolerant of non truth. Otherwise, it wouldn't be truth. It wouldn't be absolute eternal truth. It makes no difference whether the truth is a mathematical truth or a scientific truth or a religious truth. Truth must be narrow. Listen carefully now. Truth must be narrow because in and of itself, it is true and it excludes all other non-truth. Mathematically speaking, two times two is four. It is, always has been, always will be. That is truth. And no matter how bad you want two times two to equal three, because you put that as an answer on your test and your teacher marked it wrong, the reality is it never will be. Because the truth is incredibly narrow, the right answer is right, and all other answers and infinitude of possibilities, every single other answer is wrong. Truth is inherently Narrow. Truth cannot accept that kind of tolerance that says 
You bring your answer and I'll bring my answer and hopefully our answers get pretty close and everything will be okay. No, Jesus says here, notice this phrase, no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you see that? That is an exclusive statement. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus doesn't simply teach a way. He doesn't simply point the way. He says, I am the way. And in fact, one of the earliest names for those that follow the Lord Jesus is that they followed the way. He is the way. This wipes away any other proposed way to heaven. Good works Religious effort, costly gifts, there's only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. Listen to me carefully. The Bible teaches us that the way to salvation is not through the broad gate. It's not where the masses trod. The Bible teaches that the way to salvation is through the narrow gate. It is the narrow way, and very few find it. Peter says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, There's salvation in no one else, for there's no under name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How exclusive is that? There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In John chapter 3 and verse 36, we studied this just a little while ago. John chapter 3 and verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Believe in the Son, have life. Do not believe in the Son, death. It's incredibly clear. These are the words of Scripture. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, except through me. There's no other way. It's interesting. When Judd was born, Judd was diagnosed with jaundice. Many of you know what jaundice is. Jaundice is a liver disorder that causes the skin and the whites of the eyes to turn yellow. He didn't have a really bad case. The pediatrician told us, all you really need to do is when the sun's out, you take your little carry, you put him in the sun through a window, he'll be okay. His case wasn't significantly serious. We didn't even have to put him under one of those special lights that, that helped the body develop. But we needed to follow the doctor's instructions. Now, we could have said to the doctor, that sounds too easy, doc. I'll tell you what we're going to do. Instead of just putting the kid in the window where the sun is shining. This, how, about if we, how about if we scrubbed him with soap and dipped him in bleach? Right? Then maybe his skin would start to turn, you know, a little less yellow and he'd start to look like... Maybe if we worked hard enough, if we, we, we can figure this out, okay? If we worked hard enough, I'm sure that we can get his normal coloring back. You see, the doctor says, look, this is not a, not a big deal. It's easy to fix, but it can be a very, a very devastating disease. Or the doctor would have said, no, look, look, there's one way to handle this. And we could have replied, well, I, I'll tell you what, doc. I think what we need to do is we just need to ignore this and we need to pretend everything's okay. You know, doc, jaundice is your truth, but that's not my truth. 
And what, what we've decided is that we're just going uh, to act like it's not there, and we're just going to ignore this. And if we sincerely believe that everything's going to be all right, we don't need to put him in the sun, it's going to be okay, and everything will work out for the best. The doctor said, you will jeopardize the health of your son if you do that. Look, there's only one way to cure him. There's only one thing to do. Yes, it is simple. And the doctor might point to his wall and say, look, I've got the degrees. I've been to school. I know what's going on. I'm telling you, this is exactly what you need to do. I went to medical school for this. You don't know what you're talking about. Now, what if we took the doctor's word and we did what he said that we need to do and our baby got better? Would you say that we were incredibly narrow-minded to follow his instructions to make sure that our son got better? Would you say that because we pursued the only course of treatment for our son that that's being narrow-minded or is it acting rationally in accordance with the evidence? And all of us have to make that decision. We've all been in moments like that before where we know the steps that we need to take and any other steps are not right. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Many of you have heard of a man named Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel wrote the book, Case for Christ. That's his most famous, his first book, and he's written many since then. The Case for Faith, The Case for Easter. He tells his story of when he came to place his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And I wanted to convey that to you this morning. Strobel tells this first. He says, when I was 14 years old, I was home alone and I was painting with oil paints in the finished basement of our home. He said, now, if you've ever painted with oils, what you'll understand is that they dry very slowly. And that day, Lee Strobel got impatient. He said, I got so impatient, I did something very foolish. I took, I took some of our heat lamps, I plugged them in to try to dry the paintings faster. Before long... A fire broke out along the rags, among the rags soaked with turpentine and the table and the paintings. And before I knew it, the entire basement was engulfed in flames. He said he ran to the laundry room and got a bucket of water and then ran back and tried to to douse the flames, but it was to no avail. He did have a moment to call 911 and ask them to come. He said, I started choking on the fumes. I was becoming disoriented and I couldn't see the stairs anymore. The lights went out. The smoke was too thick. Then there was a horrible realization that hit me. I can't save myself. There was nothing that I could do. I didn't know where the stairs were. I was turned around. I had no idea what to do. But not long after that, a police officer arrived, opened the door, shined his flashlight and said, Police officer, is there anyone in there? Strobel says, if I'd stayed down there much longer, I knew that I would die. The police officer knew the one and only way of escape. He was a trained professional, fully capable of rescuing me from that fiery inferno. But it wasn't enough just to analyze the situation. He says, I had to take steps of action. I had to let him, I had to let him rescue me. I had to call out to him so that he would lead me to the way. So I followed the light. He put his arm around me. He led me to safety. Then Strobel says, many years later, I faced a spiritually equivalent situation in my life. 
He says, after nearly two years of investigating the claims of Christianity, having been formerly an atheist, I had to realize that for the first time, I couldn't save myself. I had to listen and understand the unique claims of Christianity and what Christ claimed for himself and his remarkable credentials and credibility. And unless I took up Jesus on his offer to pay for my wrongdoing, I was going to remain separated from God forever. I was hopelessly lost, but Jesus was calling to me. He was reaching out to me in order to rescue me. He was fully capable of leading me to safety. He knew the way to eternal life. In fact, he was the way. And he didn't need a flashlight because he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. But it wasn't enough just to know that. I had to act on it. I had to take a step of faith. Not an irrational step, but a rational step that was firm and secure because it was based on the track record of Jesus Christ, His trustworthiness. And so on November 8, 1981, I allowed Jesus to drape His arms around me to lead me out of the darkness, away from danger, and into a place of safety forever. Can I tell you something as we finish? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Notice where this verse ends and notice where it doesn't end. Look at this. He doesn't say no one comes to the Father, period. You see that? I mean, that could be our plight, could it not? Separated from God as a result of sin, we've rebelled against Him as King of the universe, and we deserve death and separation forever. But Jesus here says, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is a way of escape. There's a way to be rescued. There's a way to be ransomed and redeemed. It doesn't stop there. No one comes. He says, you can come. All can come. But you must come through me. He's the only way. Either Jesus is exactly who he says he is, and he is the only way, or he has perpetrated the greatest lie in all of human history, and we've all fallen and been doomed. I submit to you this morning that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He did what it says he did, and he alone can save.